G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Audio Podcast Pre-Finals Edition. How are you, Finey? I'm well, how are you, Rowan? I'm good. I've, uh, I know we've said previously preliminary final weekend is our favourite weekend of a season. I've changed. This is my favourite weekend of a season. Four bumper finals uh, over... What's uh, four? No, three days. Um, a feast of finals football and the matchups this year particularly good. It's a great four games of football because I think a lot of people believe that they know at least uh, how the top four is going to play out. But for example, if Hawthorne was to beat Richmond tonight, it completely redrafts the final eight or what will be the six remaining teams and everybody will have to reconsider who they think will win the premiership. But each game could really change the way we think about the finals. I love that. Yep, yep. I mean, as soon as you said that, the first thing I thought of was back to 2000, where I reckon we spent three quarters of a season saying Essendon would play Carlton in the grand final. Yep. Essendon, of course, won 20 in a row. The Blues won 13 in a row that year. Remember what happened? Melbourne threw the spanner in the works by upsetting Carlton in the qualifying final. And, of course, the Blues and Bombers ended up on the same side of a draw and played each other in a preliminary instead of the grant. So, um, was that the day David Schwartz played a sensation? No, game? no, that was 94 oh, when yeah, Melbourne well, beat well, Carlton. Yeah. No, but uh, it was a great... They came from well down. It was um, a comeback led by, from memory, Brad Green and Cameron Bruce. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the capacity for the whole thing to be turned on its head definitely exists. And we'll obviously preview all four games in depth a little bit later on. But um, I think this is uh, – I think – I have a theory this could be Richmond's toughest final, the first one. I reckon if they get over this one, they're probably going to win it. I reckon this might be the hardest obstacle during September for them. Um, all right, we will come to the previews. Let's just uh, cover off on some uh, news of the week. And it's been a an interesting week on a couple of fronts. Free agency, um, of course, on the agenda with Tom Lynch making his decision about his future. And also uh, a rather bizarre story involving the uh, corridors of power in Canberra and the corridors of power at the AFL and au pairs and... Argentinian polo players. So we'll get to that. Let's talk about free agency first. So Tom Lynch nominating Richmond as his club of choice from a field of three, Richmond, Hawthorne and Collingwood. And what's the common denominator among those three clubs? Um, Big fan bases. I was going to say big, powerful, successful, rich clubs. Well, Um, well, going to big clubs, let's just call it. You know, 
and fair enough. I mean, if Tom Lynch is leaving the Gold Coast, it's not surprising that he would be talking to suitors that from clubs that are almost the polar opposites of Gold Coast. Gold Coast is fighting for oxygen not only in the AFL where they struggle as a team, but also for recognition. I imagine on the Gold Coast, you know, some people, we've heard the stories anecdotally of how Tony Lockett and Barry Hall enjoyed the anonymity of moving up to Sydney. Well, not every footballer wants to be anonymous. Mm. And I imagine walking, you know, down Cavill Avenue or Broad Beach or wherever the Gold Coast footballers ply, you know, spend their spare time, there would have been little fan adulation and just somebody, a young bloke like Tom Lynch, might like being in the hurly-burly of um, football mad Melbourne and having to put on the dark sunglasses to enjoy a quiet cafe latte. As we do, finally, constantly. When yes, we're, uh, <laughs> yes, always. In fact, just on that, they are two things that I have never been party to. I've never had a cup of hot coffee in my life, ever. Yeah. And I've never worn sunglasses. I can't wear sunglasses and I can't drink hot coffee. I do both frequently. So does Carl Bianco, who's just looking at me very quizzically. Um, it has, the Lynch thing uh, has raised again, though, the question about is free agency having the impact it was intended to? Now, uh, my take on that is, you know, it. it my memory is when it was first discussed, uh, the AFL was saying that they thought it would help long-serving players from clubs that hadn't necessarily got the opportunities they wanted to get those opportunities. Now, in retrospect, um, that, that was gilding the lily a bit. I mean, let's be honest here. that it was basically a cave into the AFLPA who'd been agitating about this for a long time. And it's probably pretty remarkable that the draft and salary cap system has stood up for as long as it has without a legal challenge. And well, I that, think that's key to it, isn't it? Yeah. The sword of Damocles has been dangling, been dangled above the head of the AFL by the AFLPA saying that the system under which the AFL operates is not lawful and is not, in general terms in Australia, or if tested through the courts, would be considered restraint of, tra- restraint of um, trade, trade and, and opportunities, employment opportunities in this country should be equal and fair to all people. So, so it's an act of good faith to the AFLPA to sort of, you know, quid yeah. pro quo. You, you, Th- you don't challenge. Ca- that has been countered. In what, what do you mean, countered? That when a player, an AFL player, signs a contract, mm. he does so with the. It's been counted by the AFL and by legal people that you can have a, an organisation and certainly a sporting organisation that has a series of rules, boundaries, and and conditions for employment or for applying for employment. I mean, it's like it, it would be like a player, for example, testing the waters on a club-imposed fine. Now, really, legally, do you think a club can just willy-nilly fine a player $10,000 yeah, yeah. for missing a training session? Yeah. If it, it, The common-sense response to that would be, if you tested it in the courts, there's no way that would stand up. But, in fact, players do sign contracts in which these conditions are laid out. So it's not black and white that if tested in the courts 
the current system of draft and salary cap would fail. Just that, that's well, been pointed out by the AFL. Just as well, SEN never had that system finally. You would have been broke. Yeah, it could have cost <laughs> me some money. Um, well, let's get back to that initial point, though, uh, because I, I think there's sort of um, there's the perception and reality. And, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm sort of ambivalent about it. I, I can see the argument both ways, but... When a guy like Lynch goes from a poorly performed club to a strong club, you know, it's easy to say, oh, here it is, it's, it's happening again. But we were just sort of having a think about it and going through the history of it. The, the biggest names to change clubs via free agency are Brendan Goddard, um, Daisy Thomas, Buddy, uh, Buddy Franklin. Although, no, hang on, was Franklin in the end of trade or no, no, free, no, agency. free agency? Nick Del Santo. James Frawley, that's it, really. Now, where did they go? Goddard went from St Kilda to Essendon, and at that stage, those clubs were about on a par. Daisy went from Collingwood to Carlton. At that stage, he went from a strong club to a, a weak club. Um, Buddy went from a strong club to a strong club. Del Santo went from a, a club in decline, I guess, uh, to club sort of on the same level, Frawley went from a, a palpably weak club to a strong club. And then there were the ones where, you know, they were eligible for free agency, but they ended up doing a trade. Yeah, very, so Dangerfield's one of them, and yeah. Ablett, obviously. Is and Brian Lake. And Brian Lake. So, okay, Ablett went from a strong club to a foundation club. Yeah. Dangerfield went from a strong club to a strong club. Lake went from a... Reasonably strong club to a strong club. Yeah, you could argue it's been... We now live in an environment where a player, basically, if he says he wants to leave a club, he's accommodated because his agent will say, look, within a couple of years, a year, two years, he's a free agent. So I, I would extend that out even to Jager O'Meara going from GWS to Hawthorne. Um, GWS had little chance in keeping him. Gold Coast. Uh, sorry, Gold Coast to yeah. Hawthorne. Um, Collingwood Landing, Trelaw yeah. and Adams. <clears throat> this is in, in an environment without free agency where players would not be able to choose clubs where they that they want to go to. So as much as people want to throw up the free agency model mm. and say that under free agency, if you're being pedantic or if you are being true to the term free agency, there hasn't been a great... Um, exodus of players going to stronger clubs, I think with the free agency in this environment, players are nominating what clubs they go to and basically they're using it to go to clubs with that they perceive to be in the Premiership window or to go back home to the state that they're from. Yeah, it's been a, there's been a notable flow-on effect. It's certainly loosened up the trade yeah. I mean, we know that, we, well, For example, it? we know that Adam Trelaw publicly sort of um, had the choice between Richmond and Collingwood, mm. and he publicly stated that he went to the club that he viewed as the better, the stronger club. Well, but, you know, back in the back in the old days, um, you know, that would have been regarded as draft tampering. I can remember writing about when Nathan Buckley left Brisbane to go to Collingwood, um, and the AFL investigated that. Yep. Um, and so, obviously, the standards have relaxed considerably. Um, there's been, again, you know, this is, 
officially there's been 66 free agents, exactly half of whom have been delisted players anyway. So it has helped that bottom end. We don't hear about those guys that get delisted but get picked up as delisted free agents. So it has helped the you know the battlers and the the time service at clubs as well as the well, hang on, hang superstars. On. Have you ever heard of a delisted player not going to the club that he said he wanted to go to? Clubs normally just step aside and let players if they've been delisted. Yeah, and a club shows interest in them, and the player says, "This is where I want to go." Mm. I can't think of a club that has stepped in. And intercepted that player? No, no, no. You're right. I mean, look, I, I don't have a strong view on this, but I think that when you have a look at the biggest names who have ch- changed clubs as a result of free agency coming in, it's not a huge list. So you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I, are, I'm you not, wor- are you worried about? I'm not sure we need to overhaul the system well, yet. But are you worried about the salary cap now? How can Richmond, the Premiership team? afford a million-dollar-a-year player without losing anybody. Well, we were asking this about Brisbane nearly 20 years ago, you know, and, and they sort of started that model. And, Gelo- where, and we asked about Geelong. Yeah, yeah, well, they, they started a model where star players willingly played for less than they might have at other clubs because they knew they'd get team success, and that, in the long term, would probably pay them more money. So it, it's, it's, it's a selfless act on the parts of those players that do that, but there is long-term, perhaps, financial gain out of it. So I assume Richmond would have players prepared to do the same. Also, I'd argue, uh, I think Richmond has... Oh, no, it's changed because there are guys now there we do rank as superstars. But Richmond's got a a very even list, I think. They've got a very deep sort of mid-tier of players who are all ranked around the same mark. Yeah, sure. Would Are you open to... A solution to this problem? I mean, the one that I presented. I tell you, everybody that I've mentioned it to, I've mentioned it on this program. Just run through it again quickly. Okay, very quickly. That A player, for example, Lynch, takes his example, a million a year over five years, and it doesn't matter whether it's front-ended or back-ended, it's averaged out. So that's the average cost. For the first three years, and the reason I choose three years is because after three years, things can really change. For the first three years, the club that he goes to um, will pay him the million dollars a year in actual cash. But in terms of their salary cap responsibility for it, it depends where they finish on the ladder. So if he wants to go to Richmond, it will be 200% of the actual yearly wage. So they would have to fit him into their salary cap at $2 million a year. Whereas if he went to Carlton on a million a year, it would be 50%. And you go up 10% through all the through all the positions on the ladder. And that way, if Richmond or a prep, not Richmond, if the premiers, the reigning premiers, really want a top-line player who's worth a million a year, they can get him, but it's going to be a $2 million hit to their salary cap for two, three seasons. Well, who could possibly afford that, though? Well, they can clear the decks, or the, if their players are so generous, they can double their commitment to the club. But it becomes very difficult for them to do it. And you're right, who can afford it? 
No one, because by rights, if you have a competition based on evenness created by a salary cap in a draft, you do not want a situation where the reigning premiers pick up the number one free agent for the year. No, you just don't yeah. want that. No, I agree with that entirely in principle. However, to get back to the point we made before, isn't that effectively a restraint of trade? It is a form of restraint of trade, but it could be sold to the AFLPA as a possibility for players to vastly increase their earning capabilities because the only way Carlton would be able to track Lynch is not by offering him a million a year at a 50% hit, but by saying to him, you know what, Tom, we will pay you $10 million for five years, knowing that the first three years of that only go in their salary cap at a million a year, and Carlton could actually pick up the two best free agents on the market. Uh, I know Shield's not a free agent, but they could deal with him. Once you land one, dominoes fall. I remember when St Kilda got Aaron Hamill. It was the same year that they also picked up Fraser Gehrig. Mm. But as a knock-on, they were able to pick up Capuano, Mm. Callahan. Players from other clubs started. The dominoes would fall. Now, Carlton are finding it, and a bottom team find it very hard to attract players. But believe me, if Carlton landed Tom Lynch, the movement would be... Sizable, And that's what the comp needs. The comp does not need Carlton on the bottom every year. And they certainly, I believe, don't need a situation where these clubs are getting priority picks. There's now a suggestion that Carlton and possibly Gold Coast and St Kilda will get some sort of uh, relief in the draft this year. I would rather an uncompromised draft and some advantage to these clubs in seeking and securing free agents. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a really uh, clever idea and certainly um, bears thinking about. I, I'm... And, rem- and remember, <clears throat> sorry, it's not just Richmond versus Carlton. It's also about the team that finishes sixth. Yeah. You know, at about 130% mm. trying to massage that in as compared to maybe a an Essendon or a North Melbourne at about 80%. And it's the the fine line there that would give the advantage to the team out of the eight. And isn't that what we want? Yeah. I'm just not convinced, uh, in a bigger picture sense, I'm not convinced that the entrenchment of the rich and the poor and the successful and the unsuccessful is that uh, entrenched. Um, And people look at Carlton and uh, point out Carlton, I say, five wooden spoons in 17 years. However... Even they had a three-year period where um, they played finals three years in a row in the midst of that, and they stuffed up their own list. So I I think the the balance of power in the AFL and I think the capacity of ordinary teams to rise up the ladder is actually stronger than it's ever been. So I am loath to bring in any more compromises to an already compromised system until there's, um, you know, watertight proof that, Carlton just simply will not move up the ladder unless they're given that level of assistance. Just very quickly, Malcolm Blight on SEN today accidentally encapsulated the problem because he was asked whether he thinks it's a problem that Tom Lynch goes to Richmond. He said, absolutely not. He said, because this year it's it's Richmond that are being singled out. He goes, but in three or four years, it won't be Richmond. It'll be the other team that's on the top of the ladder gets that gets that sort of player. So he reckons that over a long period of time, all the teams will get the opportunity. 
Malcolm, it's not about the name of the team. It's about the position on the ladder that is a concern. So if he really believes that in three or four years, Richmond won't be premiers, but whoever will be will be luring the best players, then he's, in fact, agreeing to disagree with himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's move on quickly. Uh, the au pair uh, scandal, if you like, um, started off involving Peter Dutton and then um, our very own Gil McLaughlin sort of bobbed into the story and he got involved in the, uh, well, he was the person that sought contact, or not him directly, but uh, given his position at the AFL, uh, emissary sought to make contact with Peter Dutton's office about uh, the au pairs who had visa issues and he gave evidence to the Senate inquiry yesterday during which it emerged there was another instance of this in 2014 when Gill's people got on the line to I think it was then uh might have been Scott Morrison I think who was Home Affairs Minister um to inquire about a visa for an Argentinian polo player which so you're talking about, you know, top levels of oh, federal. Yeah, hang on, you're talking about top levels of federal government. You're talking about the AFL CEO. You're talking about international polo players. I think that really resonates with the average person. Exactly. There's a lesson here for all of us, and the salient point is, and I think it's something that everybody needs to take on board, that if your polo mates are having problem getting a visa for their au pairs is incumbent on you not to lean on friendships in the highest halls of politics. So, mm. you know, Rowan, I don't know what you do when your polo friends oh, no, are finding it's, difficult for No, it. it's more one of our domestic staff, Fanny, um, you know, illegal Mexican immigrants. And, um, you know, we're, we've had those issues. No, I mean, let's get serious for a sec. I, I must say, look, and, you know, well, people are aware of my politics. I mean, I, I wouldn't miss a chance to whack the uh, federal government where possible. But I find this one, it doesn't look great for Gill, does it? But that's the world we live in, isn't it, where people use their contacts and they use their power. I understand how it's incumbent upon uh, ministers, uh, cabinet ministers, to act with the utmost propriety. But I'm not sure... I'd necessarily be whacking Gil McLaughlin about saying, asking someone to make a phone call. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I just want to point out to all the listeners that um, in the last six months that I have guaranteed running hot and cold waters, water to the slave quarters at the back of my house. Do you still whip them? Well, you know that that's no longer politically correct. So it's basically... You know, all my slaves are now connected to electric sensors, and we buzz them, and we they're they're nipple they're nipple set, nipple controlled. All right. Well, well, thanks for letting it, me try to talk uh, seriously about well, it. And then well, just that's derailed. about how serious. Okay, it is no, but what, you know the expression first world problems." Yeah, this is way beyond that. Okay, so this isn't first world. What's better than first world? Uh, intergalactic world. Correct. Um, answer my question though. Do you have a problem with what McLaughlin did? Not in his role as AFL chief, mm. but I certainly do have not a problem with, but a, a greater understanding of, you know, the nugs nugs wink wink old boys society of mm. private school, private school um, entitlement network net entitlement. This is not yeah. 
you know, it's all right having a network of business friends and old school friends. It's another thing to think that you can circumvent the general what the rest of the public would have to undergo in terms of visa applications by a you know a couple of phone numbers. Yeah, I do have a problem with that. I actually think there that is a bigger issue in the AFL than it's ever been the the old school tie thing. Yeah, and I don't know. I've been naive about it, and you and you and I sort of. Oh, I shouldn't speak on your behalf. And I don't come from the wrong side of the tracks. I come from a, a very middle-class upbringing. However, a political upbringing and, and you know, my, my parents on principle refused to send me to a, a private school, you know. So I was government school educated and I guess my friendships have been formed in a more sort of earthy environment and I've been a bit naive to it and in, in recent years I've seen so many examples of that old school tie thing operating throughout the AFL, throughout the media and obviously throughout the corporate world and um, yeah, that pisses me off. Yeah. What do we do about it though? It's not a meritocracy, is it? No, Has it ever it, been? In many cases it's not. You know, there's a suggestion at the moment at my club St Kilda that there's some Old tie, old tie shenanigans going on. Well, you have you heard about the left lean Hanbury connection? Well, I know uh, it's old Zavs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah right. A very, you know, left lean and Hanbury's fathers. Yeah, and Xavier College. Well, it happens in the media too, and I'm, 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 I mean, like Sam McClure, for example. He he's an old Zaverian. I think he's pretty tight with Simon Leflin. I don't know if the school thing has some connection with that, but. Yeah, I don't know. I've always found it the sort of inordinate interest in what school you went to sometimes when people ask you. And I don't know. I've been really naive about it over the years. But um, maybe we should join the Masons. Yeah, no, I don't or, think or so. Scientologists seem no. to <laughs> a, good, a good run of it at times. But we, other than sort of raising our eyebrows and, and talking about uh, symbolic appearance, we don't have a um, uh, uh, ethical problem with what Gil McLaughlin did. I think you take, as I said, I don't have a problem with Gil per se, and certainly it's got nothing to do with the AFL and his position at the AFL. And I guess you take advantage of what connections you've got. But I, I understand that. I guess I'm just bitter that I don't have those connections. And suggestions of some Jewish-controlled media conspiracy have not stretched to my own career. <laughs> yeah, well... I where mean, is where is the conspiracy? Why doesn't it help me? But again, in, in all seriousness, like, um, why does Gil McLaughlin have those connections? Because of the position he fills. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm so. I mean, thinking, I mean, I'm also fascinated. I'm also well. I'm yeah. also fascinated by the, the. You know, we believe that we are a a pretty egalitarian society, and certainly football was always considered to be the place where. Remember the great term where politicians yeah, and yeah, yeah. solicitors and barristers <clears throat> rub shoulders with garbage men. You know, but. Football has become quite elitist with different forms of membership and mm. a hierarchy that has been created there. Well, I think on a playing level that's applied as well. The elite private schools have pumped more and more resources into footy and act as feeders to the TAC under-18 competition. Yeah, I mean, remember, just extending on this, remember sort of in the 70s through the 80s, there was a suggestion, for example, that Hawthorne 
would focus their recruiting private on private yeah, schools yeah. because of the type of person that came out of those schools. Yeah. And, you know, there is a, a there is an unspoken, very grimy past to certain football clubs and two famous football clubs who had a who, who had a policy of not recruiting indigenous footballers. Yeah. That is long gone, right? Yeah. That is very much a thing of the past. Yeah. But at certain levels in certain, you know, halls of power, there are still haves and have-nots, and I guess we've had a look into that with a very minor case, and as I said, you know what? It's one of those ones where those of us who are not privy to that sort of opportunity might get our back up, but I don't think that it's anything... I don't think Gil McLaughlin has done anything for a mate that we wouldn't do for a mate if we were in the position to do so. It might be the equivalent of me and you being asked to get some finals tickets for some mates or something, you know, as a journey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and just... To head people off, nah, you can't get them anymore. They're like hen's teeth. All right, it's getting a bit hot in here. I'm just going to take off my school blazer and we'll just move. Oh, hang on. I've got one more. Sorry, I know you hate this. No, I hate going overtime. Hurry up, very quickly, because it is another story of the week. Yep. What do you make of this? Is outrageous. This is pathetic. Why is Melbourne Storm playing on Friday night? Yeah, I don't know. Bad scheduling. Do you think it was done on purpose to because? There's a suggestion that the powers that be that in the NRL are almost the opposite in support of Melbourne as we perceive AFL supporting Sydney, that they almost oh. pull their tail. No. Where's the logic? How could you No, there it? isn't. It's dumb. It's dumb. There's no question. I think it was done on purpose. All right, let's move on. On Footyology Media Watch. Right, O'Fani, a couple of things I wanted to uh, put on the agenda. One was the, um, uh, what would I call it, media incestuousness and the belief that the punters out there are interested to any degree in the uh, goings-on and the various controversies and um, fights and spats between various football media people. And... um, there was one which, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, one which emerged yesterday um, about Damien Barrett and Eddie Maguire allegedly having a major spat about some story before the footy show uh, last week, not this week, uh, after which Damien didn't appear on that edition of the footy show. He's been grilled about this in several places, including on his own podcast by uh, Craig Hutchison, who is his... Uh, co-host on The Sounding Board. Very good podcast, too. I can recommend it. Um, But the Herald Sun went crazy eight bonkers on this story yesterday, and for a short time it was leading their website. And, um, you know, look, we know Eddie's not averse to a bit of self-promotion. Damien Barrett, I think, uh, would be very sort of embarrassed by this. uh, I, I like Eddie and Damien, but I, I just, I'd hope they'd acknowledge this too. Like, what what am I missing here? Like, a, every time there is a story like this, all I read in the comments or whatever is people saying, who cares? So, I mean, clearly, I don't know, do the media organisations concerned think that enough people do care? 
is it the spectre of uh, you know uh, conflict rather than who's involved that drags people to it? Um, and we why are we fed such a steady diet of media? Speculation. We're in the media, so I can understand why we're involved in it. But if I wasn't, I don't know that I'd give a toss. You know, some people will think footy show beat up, but uh, I think that horse has run its race. Uh, yeah, but the, again, the, they're sorry to butt in, but yeah. the Herald Sun at the moment writes virtually a story a day about the footy show. They are obsessed with it. So what's that about? Well, again... <laughs> The sceptical amongst many out there would say that this is an attempt to bring the football show back to life, but if if it is, it's going to be a failed attempt because it will be trying to resuscitate a corpse, unfortunately. And, you know, I take no pleasure in the demise of the football show. I've been involved with it in small part along the way, and I think that the backlash against it has, you know, been... Look, it is, it's been around for a long time. It hasn't really... It's it's stuck to its guns for so long that I think the public has finally said, you know, put this thing to bed. So if they are trying to sensationalise it through conflict, and that's been done before, it's, you know, we've seen it at uh, radio stations... TV shows, etc. It is a way to get yeah. people to tune in. But, I don't believe that's the case. But forget that for a moment. Even if it was, why would the Herald Sun be interested in it? Well, again, you know, Herald Sun's interest in a business sense, in a, in a company ownership sense, is certainly um, Foxtel rather than Channel Nine, isn't it? Well, it, it op- but it, yeah, we'll, and we'll get uh, to that. Unless they think that they are putting the final boots into the footy show. Well, I guess, yeah. But what for? But, I mean, we'll get to that point you just made then in a sec. But um, it's that sort of story operates from the premise that people, there's a, a wow factor, uh, a celebrity factor about. Eddie Maguire. And I think I think that might be it. Is it is it as, in, is it as simple as if Collingwood sells papers? Yeah. Then by extension, you know, Eddie Maguire, Eddie Collingwood, and also all the extra um, views that he gets on his on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, etc., makes any article with Eddie Maguire hot stuff. Yeah. Well, my argument very much now is that that is an anachronism that the public yeah. has moved on and this uh is sort of part in my view part of the reason for the demise of the footy show and yes it's been around an awful long while and the people are basically the same but it's also about well maybe it's the demise of newspapers as well oh uh, yeah yeah but but that's again and but th- this premise that we're all enthralled by the various antics of these people we see on TV. I, I think the punters are well and truly over that. We get it's not just about a handful of tele, free-to-air television stations anymore. It's not just about pay TV anymore. There are uh, stars of um, social media and stars of uh, streaming services and whatever who you never even read about in traditional mainstream media channels but they are massive and spot I'm, on and, spot yeah, i agree and i'm talking about you know 
uh, PewDiePie in Sweden or whatever, these sort of game guys that play games and film themselves playing games, and they've got you know twenty five million subscribers, and and I think in a way the legacy media, people call it the traditional media, and the Herald Sun is a big part of that. I don't think that they've grasped that, so there's not this same fascination with two guys who are on TV having a spat. And this is part of the reason, I don't want to get dragged down the front bar versus the footy show, but uh, you know, I watched a bit of the front bar last night, and the reverence is all towards the game and the stories rather than the people per se. So they had Dermot Brereton on last night. Now Dermy was the personification of that wow celebrity factor, but what I really noticed, and Derm's smart enough to realise this too, the stories he was telling and whatever, it, it's about, fundamentally, it's it's showing reverence and a passion for and a, uh, an affection for the game, not for the personality. Yeah, I think that's a bit hard on the footy show. I think certainly this year they have pulled back the shenanigans. There's no street talk, I don't think. They spend a lot of time... Oh, there's no ritual humiliation of disadvantaged people. Oh, damn. There's definitely been a greater emphasis on the games and previewing and reviewing, etc. But they have a reputation, and for those who have turned off, it will forever be a show... An entertainment, an entertainment show around football rather than a football show that entertains. So it might have lost its viewership. There is a great fear amongst uh, our generation and you know people in their forty pluses, fifty pluses, and they are still people in positions of power, decision makers, as to what young people are interested in. You said pooty pie. I mean, they don't know. We 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 don't know. We find out about Pootie Pie long after Pootie Pie is established. We don't know who the up-and-coming online social media sensations are. I mean, you know, it could be Spoofnik for all we know. Who Who is the next unidentifiable... Do you but, say Spoofnik? Yeah. I was in a uh, <laughs> in high school where to, where to have come up with sporting team names. I was part of a team called the Spoof Masters. Yeah, well, that's... <laughs> that's I thought Spoofnik was out there. I don't know. It's very 1980s. <laughs> that's actually not a bad online tag. <laughs> don't. Come on, get on with it. Hashtag Spoofnik. Get on with it. Uh, so what I'm saying is they are... They're searching for answers. They don't have the answers. And maybe they are reverting back to the old, you know, this is what we know. And all we know is, oh, it is big. Yeah, no, no, I think that's a good point. And I think that that's probably even more exemplified. Fumbling around in the dark. Yeah, but it's probably more exemplified in the case of the Herald Sun by their political coverage. It's like they've said now, we are just going to completely target the bitter, old, white, racist, sexist, homophobic, scared people out there and if you read the comments on their political stories you'd certainly agree it's a pretty you know it's a pretty angry old audience so i think i think you're right but i guess that brings us to the second part of this discussion which was i can't help noticing and you know look 
I don't want this to sort of sound like this is just both guns blazing at the Herald Sun because we talked about that story then. This could be any paper. It just so happens that we're in Melbourne and that is the biggest paper in Melbourne. But more and more, it looks to me like the Herald Sun, in terms of their sporting coverage particularly or footy coverage, it's almost a promotional tool for Fox Footy now, which, of course, if you're not aware of those things, News Corp owns... Fox Footy and it owns the Herald Sun and have a look through the print edition more so than online have a look at the printed edition of the Herald Sun and there are two things one a lot of stories now written off the back of stuff that was on Fox Footy which I mean the age does that say with radio stories you know someone says something you write a story off it but they're doing it a lot more with uh, something that Nick Rewalt might have said on AFL 360 or Chris Alan Richardson or Chris Scott and their guest appearances on AFL 360. Even if it's not necessarily that newsworthy, that's one element of it, which worries me about the future of newspapers because they're basically just becoming de facto monitoring services. The second part of it, which is even... Mm, harder to deal with I find is the you know blatant promotional vehicles so yesterday the Herald Sun had a story a picture of um oh, just trying to remember who it was now it was Sarah Jones and some of their other footy Fox footy experts oh Dermy was there and I can't remember the other two but nominating their greatest finals moment and it was basically a picture of them standing there holding a photo of whatever moment it was and their sports affairs reporter, you know, just rattling off a few quotes for, I'll never forget where, and they dressed it up like it was a legitimate news story and gave it a whole lot of prominence. And that threatens to turn a newspaper into an advertising catalogue. Look, we have to understand that there is a been a noticeable contraction of independent or various, not just voices in covering f- football, or we'll say football, covering sport, but covering football, but of the organisations that cover football. So whereas every radio station used to be independent, every TV network was independent, every newspaper was a separate entity, and so on and so on, understand the contractions. So Channel 9 effectively, or the same umbrella company has Channel 9 and 3AW. We have Fox Football, Channel 7 and Herald Sun in bed. Sorry, Herald Sun and Fox Football together in bed. Mm. On a smaller scale, Croc Media has acquired 1116 SEN. They cover football Australia-wide with AFL Nation, but they also now have the AFL football record, so they head into AFL Media. Mm. So that's why we see on the AFL website, a store, an article promoting that Dennis Pagan says Richmond can't go back-to-back, which he said on SEN. Now, that may be a legitimate story because, you know, SEN broadcasts sport, but you have to understand that there are now, just like your mum and pup hardware store doesn't exist, it's all Bunnings or Home Hardware or whatever it is, there are going to be far less and less independent various voices on football as parent companies, umbrella companies, broadcasting organisations consume or have in the under the one umbrella news print media, a uh, print radio TV 
what we don't want to have is one company controlling the whole lot. Yeah, well, uh, hold on to your hats. Um, but, but the extension of that too is, and, and I guess I'm saying this from a newspaper Please perspective. Please note, footyology is independent and remains so. Correct. But, and, uh, and but, un- op- but open to being umbrella. Yeah, and underfunded. So um, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to tip in, if you want to be a benefactor, go right ahead. But just in terms of newspapers, the what worries me here from a, uh, a journalistic purist point of view is that if you have a majority of stories being basically written off TV interviews and stuff, now the guests that go on Fox Footy and whatever, they're paid, and, and they're paid handsomely. So at a time when newspapers are already struggling to get the access they once did to players and coaches and officials... That is part of the reason that they gravitate to writing stories uh, off these people's appearances on electronic media. But if those appearances are, are going to increase and be exclusively confined to electronic media because those people will be paid for those appearances, that then is even worse. You know, it's uh, we we re- that is another quick step towards losing the independence of the media. And and. What you then have is past players and commentators and, and football journalists belonging to a stable. Yeah. And the stable having a single think view on football. Mm. Or even if it's not a, a single think view on football, then no drive to look beyond their stable for stories. So say goodbye to opening up the newspaper and reading a what should be award-winning piece on a country football, a country team, uh, a current AFL player whose personal story and playing story is extraordinary. Mm. There's little motivation to get in your car and drive to Wangaratta for that incredible story when you are being driven, you know, not if not forced, but then, you know, suggested to by your employers to write things that are cross-promotional. Yep, and actually that, that and we might expand on this in a, a later segment, but just when you said that, I was thinking, I mean, my bread and butter 10 years ago was opinion analysis and feature writing. And um, I love doing big interviews with, with players and or, or expansions on particular themes. And it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people were doing it. You know, Peter Hamlin at the A's was great at that. Emma Quayle did a lot of that stuff, terrific stuff. I reckon I think about that now. I think back to 2008 and the sort of features I was reading in papers then. Now, it's probably a, a, a quarter as much. And, and the subjects are more mundane. And I don't think there's as much time and effort being put into the writing of that really good football journalism and it, I don't know why I've just sort of had this light bulb moment but that's only 10 years ago and it's changed dramatically so I think we're all all poorer for that and um, you know but, but we're getting a whole lot of Jonathan Brown's 10 best finals exactly. players exactly clickbaity easy to write easy to source clickbait you know and um, let, let you know exactly let's hear and I'm not blaming Jonathan Brown. You know, let, let's let's write up and promote Nick Rewalt's five yep. game breakers for the week one of the finals. Yep. Uh, you know, help me take my finger out of my own mouth. Yeah, yeah. There's and if you're waiting for the happy ending to this segment, uh, there is none. Let's move on. On footyology previews with punch. 
All right, four massive finals. Let's start at the beginning. Thursday evening, 7.20pm, Richmond v Hawthorne, first qualifying final. Fascinating matchup, this one. And I said at the outset, finally, I reckon this is almost the Tigers' biggest test. few reasons. They haven't played since round three. Uh, Hawthorne made a flying comeback in that game and only fell 13 points short. Plus, they're playing a lot better footy now than they were then. Plus, in that game, they had no... Uh, Sicily and no Sean Burgoyne. Now, Sicily is back. I, I really like the Hawks' selections, actually. Sicily, Frawley and Segler. So they're going big. I think they feel like they might be able to exploit Richmond for a bit of height uh, and use Segler slash McAvoy as key forwards as well as in the ruck. I think they... Richmond's pressure game makes it very hard for sides to actually even get the ball in their scoring zone. The sides that have beaten Richmond or pushed them successfully have done so by controlling possession of the footy. No one does that better than the Hawks with that precise kicking, particularly coming out of defence. Um, they sort of mix it up a bit. They're very Richmond-like in the way they score the Hawks. They're both very uh, turnover-based teams. So Hawthorne will move the ball very in very precise fashion into that forward 50. Then once it gets in there... If Roughhead slash Segler McAvoy doesn't mark it, it's chaos, or chaos ball, as Dwayne would say, and uh, they back their little men, Puopolo, etc., to uh, cash in, and they do it very successfully. So I think they've got the sort of game that can really worry the Tigers. That said, Tigers have set the bar all year, been very consistent, been in a bit of cruise control lately, but I, I reckon they're all poised to come out, guns blazing, a big in for them, uh, Lambert coming back, Brandon Ellis probably a bit stiff to get dropped. I think this is going to be really close, and I think Hawthorne is every chance, but I just don't have enough reason to tip against Richmond. Yeah, I'm very bullish on the Tigers. Look, I know that you're one who thinks that that week off can advantage certain teams, and it really plays into Hawthorne's hands, because... I don't know whether Sicily, you know, he was line ball and his scaphoid injury would have made it difficult for him to play last week. So he comes into the side. Most importantly, Hawthorne's form leading into the finals has been very poor. To That game against St Kilda, they actually should have lost that game. They won by six points. To be controlled, you know, to, to... I reckon that was the only poor one they've had, though. Oh, I thought they were terrible against Sydney. Sydney were without Parker. Sydney were without Franklin. Sydney lost Hanbury. They were 23 points down. They should never... Sydney's team was barely recognisable. I mean, they should never have been in that position against Sydney. They did escape. They rely hugely on Bruce and Gunston. I rely on the highly underrated Grimes to do a job, an effective job on Gunston. I mean, Bruce is a difficult player. I really feel that Tom Mitchell, that's why the week off could help them. Tom Mitchell, you don't get that many possessions without tiring. And he noticeably has tired in the last three or so weeks. He's key to their their fortunes. But most importantly, they've gone big Hawthorne. There's some wild and woolly weather heading for Melbourne this afternoon and tonight. And you know what? I'm... There's actually a song that sums this up. It's going to be a wet MCG. I'm not saying it's going to be muddy, but it's going to be their quick feet that wins the game for them. Have you ever heard a song called Tiger Feet by Mud? No. At the end of the show, you will. 
So Tigers, quick feet to win the game. All right. Uh, give us a margin, quickly. Of a thumping 28 points. I'm going Richmond by 10. All right. First elimination final back at the G. Friday, 7.50pm, Melbourne v Geelong. Um, this could be anything this game. Very contrasting uh, sides. Melbourne, high-scoring side in the competition. Only side averaging more than 100 points per game. They're explosive up forward. Uh, Geelong aren't shabby. They're, they're ranked fourth for scoring, which would probably surprise some people. But the Cats clearly the number one defensive team. So great contrast of styles there. And, of course, two of the best finishers of the year. Max Gorn missing on the siren round one. And then uh, round 18, Zach Tui getting that goal after the siren to get the Cats home. Had a look at the stats for both those games, though, and uh, statistically, they are both games Melbourne should have won handsomely in the finish. They had 64 inside 50s in both of them, um, at least 15 more than the Cats in one, and it was almost 20 more in the other one. And in the end, it was just down to conversion. I think Melbourne in one game was 13, 14, 13, 15. Geelong in that second game kicked 16-4. That was basically what kept him in it. Uh, I feel like it's third time lucky. And the key here, and it's a, everyone's talked about him, but Max Gorn, this is his moment to completely tear a final apart. He's up against Ryan Abbott, who's played three AFL games. He's going to absolutely dominate the hitouts. Melbourne has the best centre bounce uh, record of any team in the competition. I think Gorner's going to have a BOG again, and I think Melbourne this time is going to capitalise on that work and win uh, by 20-odd points. Both teams well served by the break. Melbourne get back Viney. The, you know, makes a big difference when you get your leader back into the side, so that's a big returnee for them, whereas Geelong would certainly point to their key on ballers, the likes of Dangerfield, Selwood and Ablett would have loved the week off because they get banged up a fair bit. Geelong's recent form at the MCG is poor. And Melbourne have an opportunity in this game to do exactly what they've done best at the MCG, and that is control the ball through Gorn and also the likes of Clayton Oliver, Angus Brayshaw and now Viney at the stoppages. Now, you win these centre clearances, very important, and stoppages around the ground, and Melbourne will win the game. So even though Geelong have these great midfielders, Ablett, Dangerfield and Selwood, I don't think they're stoppage winners. And I think Gorn, and with Viney back, takes it over the top for Melbourne. That's why they get so many inside 50s. And you're right, it would take another very accurate Geelong or profligate Melbourne for Melbourne not to win. I tip Melbourne, and I'm glad I used the word profligate. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, all right, let's move on. Saturday afternoon to the SCG, Sydney GWS, the Battle of the Bridge. Second time they've clashed in a final in three years, 4.20pm. Um, on paper, probably the least sexy of the four finals, I think, but interesting nonetheless. Sydney have won both clashes so far this year, only narrowly, 16 points at the SCG in round three, uh, 20 points second time around when they came over the top, really. But I think six goals to one in the last quarter. To me, Finey, um, GWS is the better team, but Sydney probably more reliable. I think to win this one, the Giants really need to get it, get the ball out of the trenches where the Swans are very good and get it on the outside where I think they can really exploit them. You know, if you were filling GWS's dance card up to their 
to their preferences, I think they would pick Sydney as the first team they want to play in a final. They seem comfortable to me against Sydney, more comfortable than against other teams. They've, from day one, they've been pitted against them in every possible contest pre-season, Lightning Premiership, Backgammon Championship. AFLX? What, everything, because, you know, it promotes the game in Sydney. So they what they may lack in finals... Not toughness, because they've played a couple of tough finals, but maybe um, the complete team to win a finals, especially this year with so many injuries halting their progress, I think goes out the window against Sydney. Sydney remain pretty reliant on Buddy. and Well, they do, just chipping in. He's yeah. been the key. In the first meeting, uh, Phil Davis actually did a great job on him, but yeah. Buddy just got off the chain late. And in the second game, Davis got injured and went off, and Buddy got off the chain again. And ended up kicking five, and so they are about it, Buddy reliant. And and without Buddy, either for the game or or for quarters at a time, Sydney have not been able to do what they've done in previous years and find other ways to score. So they're going to go to Buddy a lot because of that. Because of Phil Davis's very strong season, unlucky not to be all Australian. I'm going to tip. The the Giants. Yeah, I've changed my mind on this. Initially, I was going for the Swans, and I had a theory that the Swans were a better bet for this game, but I thought the Giants were a better bet to go deeper into September. Um, and I still think that. And I, But I also, yeah, I, I think GWS is capable of uh, hanging tough enough to get that ball onto the outside and then exploiting them. And I think, you know, some big ins, uh, again, selection is going to be really interesting, but you put Green, Deledio uh, and DeBoer back in that side, I think it makes a huge difference. So I reckon they can do it. I agree with you. I'm going for the Giants. And it finishes off Saturday night in Perth. What a corker this is. And what a great finals history these two teams have got, West Coast and Collingwood, of course. Uh, the drawn qualifying final, 1990. McGon. McGon drops a mark, 94. 2007, extra time. Uh, a, a ripper history. For all that, though, Collingwood's been very much the dominant team. I think it's might be 6-1-1, I think, from eight meetings. Uh, geez, they're up against it this time, though. This is one week where they're really going to regret having lost Lyndon Dunn, I think, because it's a really short defence. They desperately need to be able to pick both Howe and Moore, and the story at this stage is that they're both going to play. Uh, were it not for them coming back, you know, they'd be playing the likes of Langdon and um, uh, Madgen on Kennedy and Darling, and uh, that's a, a surefire recipe for disaster. Hard to imagine that working out. Yeah, well, I don't think it would. Boom, boom. Um, but Kennedy back, uh, I think Rioli and Ryan can play key parts as well, you know, just at their feet. Yep. The crumbs that they create. Collingwood's and Lacra chan- is not to be dismissed. No, no, no. Um, medium-sized forwards. Cripps, another one. Cripps played a ripper yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. Yes, um, good point. Collingwood's big chance for me is to absolute. They're going to have to absolutely dominate the midfield. I reckon. So that means. So Grunt, do they rush Trelaw back in? Uh, I think they have to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say that. I, I reckon they have to. That the, you know they've got Pendlebury side bottom. Adams, great. I reckon they need Trelaw to absolutely monster the Eagles' midfield. The Eagles will be aware of this. I reckon if West Coast breaks even in midfield, um, I think they're three-quarters of the way home. At at home, it has to be an advantage. Look, Collingwood are, are good on the road. Uh, they've got, had great spirit. They've never been blown away. 
But I think structurally, and don't forget, West Coast beat Collingwood at the MCG, and that was the other thing. Collingwood kept kicking it to Jeremy McGovern. That's that's exactly it. Now, that's the key to the game. Collingwood's method this year Mm. of going forward is often to kick it long to Cox. Now, it's a good option because he either marks it or creates the contest. Yeah. Except against West Coast. Well, Cox didn't play in that game, so he's a big in. All right. That's fair enough, but I still believe that by by that new method of trying to kick it up to the light tower, he's going to get outbodied by McGovern. That will just play into West Coast's hand. Yeah. Okay, so tip? West Coast, because I don't believe Collingwood can pinpoint forwards. They don't really have the forward system to do much other than kick the ball long into the forward line. Yeah, so we think that Collingwood can control the middle but I think it's got big problems at either end of the ground, and that ultimately could prove the fatal flaw. So West Coast, for both of us, let's finish it off. On footyology, never again. Okay, you know I struggle with this segment, Fanny, but I got one today. Have I got one? Uh, two hours it took me to get here this morning. I had to drop Abby off at the... Uh, the Fracture Clinic, because she broke her arm a few weeks ago. That was in Dandenong. I thought I can get Dandenong to Brighton, not too hard. Uh, oh, no. No, no. It was about half an hour on the Monash from uh, Stud Road just to Wellington Road. Got off there. Thought, now I'm right. Nope. Bumper to bumper on North Road, where there'd been a really nasty accident. Uh, forced onto Dandong Road. Everyone had gone off there, so joined the club there. And uh, even down in the normally serene surrounds of Bay Street, Brighton, uh, got held up by two trains within two minutes on the Sandringham line. How often does that happen? So never again will I underestimate how long it's going to take me to get somewhere in bloody Melbourne. I warned you. You did. You did. Uh, My never again is, well, very quickly, you know, Last weekend, my family, I, I can't remember last time, the whole family sat down to watch a sporting event. But they did, because I told them about Usain Bolt playing for Central Coast oh, Mariners, yeah. yep. and they were all quite interested in it. And as I was flicking the channels, there was WWE was on. Mm. And something incredible happened. My 11-year-old daughter said, well, can we watch that? I said, what? It goes, I just want to see what the Miz is. I said, pardon? She follows WWE because of social media. They've all got this profile. One thing led to another, and she goes, can we go and see WWE at the MCG? And I said, yes. Never again will I say yes to a request from one of my kids to go and see something till I check the ticketing. Because all the reasonable price tickets were sold out. So I have just spent $872 oh on two tickets to see WWE. Yeah. I, 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 I have 428 plus booking, 870 bucks. That is insane. Uh, one quick question. Does she know it's um, not real? As my mate Arthur says, when you watch LA Law or Mad Men or Sopranos, do you know that's not real? I don't you can it. be entertained without something <laughs> being real. Does she know Santa's not real? She's Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, all right, uh, thanks to your company, everyone. Uh, enjoy this um, weekend of Files Footy because it is an absolute ripper. Let's hope we get four cracking games. And uh, join us on Sunday night at 7.30pm live on Facebook for Footyology. 
TV. Quick one, finding. She does Barry from Richmond. She's very excited tonight about those tiger feet.